legalizefreedom.com. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host, Greg Moffat, and today my guest is Daniel Drazen, who joins us to discuss his book, A New Science of the Afterlife, Space, Time, and the Consciousness Code. Sharing his more than three decades of research into the afterlife and paranormal phenomena, Drazen shows that the continuity of human consciousness beyond the physical body and after death constitutes a legitimate area of scientific inquiry and that it can be objectively demonstrated. Drazen begins by revealing how our belief in materialism, through its effects on our social norms, taboos, and even language, has deeply constrained our civilization's understanding of the nature of space, time, life, death, and consciousness. However, our deeply ingrained cultural habits tied to materialism have begun to change. Drazen explores 15 promising post-materialistic scientific investigations currently underway, focusing in-depth on examples that offer the most objectively or irrefutable evidence for the survival of consciousness. Drazen shows how, by thinking and speaking about death and the survival of consciousness in new ways, we can facilitate a clearer, more relaxed, comfortable and rational conversation about what awaits us all, sooner or later, on the other side of life. Hello and welcome, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us today on LegalizeFreedom.com. Thank you. Thank you very much, Greg. Dan, today we're talking about your new book, your first book, in fact, as you've just informed me, that's entitled A New Science of the Afterlife, Space, Time, and the Consciousness Code. Before we jump into that, just uh, tell listeners, listeners a little bit about your background and your work in general. Well, uh, for most of my life, professionally, I've been a, a media producer, cinematographer, uh, documentary cameraman, traveled quite extensively, and uh, have a, an abiding interest in uh, different ways of looking at things. Uh, I've had a, a pretty uh, interesting engagement with the sciences and the arts over the course of my life. And so I'm, I'm interested in different perspectives. Uh, I also have uh, had, or I should say, been been blessed with a number of uh, experiences in my life that one might consider paranormal, um, and that sort of jump-started my interest in, in the afterlife and consciousness and so on. So um, that's, in a nutshell, that's my background. You mentioned some of your your work as a as a filmmaker, and I looked up some of your titles, and some of them relate to some of the subject matter. Uh, you also mentioned these experiences that you had that, that piqued your interest and stimulated you to, to look further into the fabric of reality. What Has this been a lifelong thing for you? Did you experience anything as a child, you know, or was it later as an adult? What was it you'd mark out as, as a turning point? Or maybe there, were more, there was more than one of those. 
Well, um, as far as I can tell, my my first inkling that uh, things uh, aren't necessarily as they appear on the surface of things uh, was uh, experiencing a number of precognitive dreams as a young child. And um, I, they were puzzling to me, but they taught me that, um, as I've put it, uh, in the theater of life, stuff goes on backstage. In other words, we're we're not necessarily privy to the whole spectrum of of reality, and you know, science science itself has has pretty well uh, established this. I mean, we understand that our senses, our physical senses, are very limited in, in what they can perceive. So, um, my anyway, my my youthful experiences did did point me in the direction of of uh, curiosity and fascination. With uh, especially with things which were said to be taboo in the culture, for example, the whole uh, UFO ET issue, uh, which has fascinated me for most of my life, uh, as well as the sociology of these things that um, are are considered taboo. Um, they're they're fodder for the uh, pathological skeptics who uh, behave in the most unscientific manner when when confronting these these things. Um, Anyway, I it was about 30 years ago when I became when I first became focused on the question of the afterlife. And um I I, I don't actually like the term afterlife. I think it's too restrictive. Um I, I tend to prefer the term the greater reality, because it in in my view, um the greater reality sort of wraps around our ordinary reality in terms of space, time. Um, consciousness and so on. It's uh, it seems to me to be the larger context in which our familiar physical reality resides, and uh, which may well be the the source of it. That that our our physical <clears throat> plane um, is perhaps a lower frequency of something much larger and more refined and more conscious. Well, the word. Afterlife is makes me think of afterthought. Um, you know, it feels <laughs> like you know l- life is the main event, and then oh, there's this, there might be some kind of anomalous experience on the other side of it. But at the end right. of the day, what you and I are sharing now is 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 it. You know, this is really as good as it yeah. gets. Type thing, right. and I think you're absolutely correct that it's the reverse is almost the case. That are the experience that w- that you and I and everyone listening to this now are sharing is just embedded in this much wider reality for me i remember it was something as simple as learning in biology for example that dogs and cats and they need many other animals but you know they could they could see and hear that they, they, their sense spectrum went well beyond that of humans and right. i thought well you know when cats are reacting to something that we can't see does is are they reacting to nothing and if not then you know what does that mean what else is out there beyond uh, the limits of our five senses and then it was in physics and chemistry, you know, maybe looking down a microscope and uh, and just seeing all this stuff again, that these instruments were allowing us mm-hmm. to see that we can't normally perceive. And again, I thought, well, then what's in terms of like, you know, the micro and the macro, what, you know, what else is out there? And then being fascinated by astronomy and, you know, how little mm-hmm. we know about what lies beyond the earth and on and on and on. And then formative experiences like Arthur C. Clarke's television series that he did world of strange powers and whichever the other one there were two series he did and books based on them all about paranormal and supernatural so-called anomalies events 
experiences and what all that meant as you say but all of this was very much surrounded by a taboo very much like the taboo around death Mm -hmm. the taboos around sexuality all these things but for me that was all the more reason to look at it because if i've learned one thing in life you know if you forces or entities or whatever or even you know governments society culture are trying to steer you away from something that you're drawn to then that in itself means that you should be looking more closely at it Absolutely, absolutely, and I think this is this merges into the question of of um, psychological and political freedom. That that um, the 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 focus I think is now increasingly on trusting and understanding our own perceptions, in the, particularly in this in this area. That you know what when we're told what to think and what to believe. Um, very often our our psyches follow follow behind uh what we're supposed to think and believe this is this is certainly true in the uh scientific and academic communities where it's very difficult for anyone who has an interest in or has had experiences outside the box um to speak about them publicly um rupert sheldrake who's one of my heroes has often pointed out that um in, in the pubs after hours is where the truth gets told uh, within within cultures like the academic community, where people can let their hair down and trust one another. Um, so you know, we speak of of paranormality. You know, what's how do we know what's normal if we can't openly speak about it? How do we know what's supernatural if we don't understand the limits of nature? You know, a lot a lot of this is just you know semantic games. And and that, I think it's one of the reasons why the longest chapter in my book, which is called Don't Eat the Menu, is about semantics and about how language tends to structure our sense of reality, our belief systems, and so on. And, um, you know, when, when, our, when our very words are censored in one sense or another by our culture, um, I think everyone suffers in the end. You know, certainly people who've had so-called paranormal experiences um, have often been subject to ridicule and uh, uh, professional dismissal and and even uh, confinement to psychiatric institutions. And this really has to stop. And I hope that that those of us who are involved in this field, um, you know, whatever aspect of the paranormal we were focused on, um, can help to free people's um, sense of what's permissible and to feel more comfortable about sharing these things, you know, with their families, their intimate friends, and even within their professions. Um, my sense of it is that uh, probably almost everyone has had uh, one or another uh, experience in this, in this way and would be dying to talk about it if they knew it was okay. Uh, does that make sense to you? Absolutely. Every every word of it. I mean, one of my most recent interviews prior to this one uh, was with the um, <clears throat> American author Paul Levy. And mm. in his early life, he had a sort of a, a psychotic break, a sort of just an episode, really, that turned out to be the making of him. You know, it really was a transformation. But initially, it was a horrible experience for, for him. And he was confined to, a, you know, a psychiatric, psychiatric unit and, and medicated and basically told that he was losing his mind. The reverse was true, really. He was discovering 
um, <laughs> something, you know. So yeah, that, that I, I write a lot about and speak a lot about popular culture and about media and perception management and control. And reality really is a kind of battle of perceptions. And you only have to look at some of the big events in human affairs in recent decades and how those have played out in the media, particularly now in the 21st mm. century with 24-7 media matrix and social media. Sure. And it, it's all these different versions of reality. And definitely if you allow your perceptions to be managed and massaged, then they will be into falling in with a particular, usually very narrow narrative. Right. I, I agree. Absolutely. And, you know, I, this, to me, it's, it's just a, uh, an overbearing aspect of human psychology. I don't necessarily attribute um, many of these things to, um, to evil intent. I think it's just the nature of our collective awareness at this point in time that um, has a tendency to um, perpetuate this, this state of affairs. Um we we use the word reality. I just wanted to get into that for a moment. Um, part of my chapter on semantics uh, deals with the word reality because I think all, all of our ideas and opinions and experiences and so on ultimately come down to that term. Uh, the point that I arrive at in the book is that it's arbitrary. You know, it's subjective. So if, if we need this word in our vocabulary at all. Um, and we're speaking in, in English, of course, which is not the only language. But um, if we need this word in our vocabulary at all, let's let's try a working definition. And I propose that working definition to be of reality to be anything that can give rise to consequences. Well, and, that's that's a useful one, I think, isn't it? You know, because it's it's again, I use the word practical, and that sounds very materialistic, but it's it's applicable mm -hmm. to things. It's you know, it's testable as you say, in, uh, you know, in whatever you consider evidence to be. And in fact, anytime I have a conversation about language and semantics, I, I, I hear my own voice and every word coming out of my mouth and think about <laughs> that, you know, using words like, you know, evidence <laughs> and practical, right. you know, all sounds very materialistic, scientific, doesn't it? Well, scientific isn't necessarily materialistic. Sci science is basically organized curiosity. It's a, a method of inquiry. It does not have to be confined to the material realm. And, you know, there are branches of what we call the soft sciences, which are not involved with physics. Um, and I think that, that it that can easily extend to the kinds of things we're talking about. Um, the, the problem has been that we are not, that systematic inquiry into these so-called paranormal areas is, tends not to be socially sanctioned. Um, but there's no reason why it can't be as scientific as anything else. I mean, we science begins with with empirical science, uh, observing phenomena, um, cataloging them, beginning to understand their patterns. And there's absolutely no reason why we cannot at least start to approach the so-called paranormal in this way. Collect the evidence. Listen to people. I mean, how, how much would we learn about these things if we just listen to people? Don't necessarily have to believe someone uh, and take them at face value, but you know, listen to a hundred or a thousand people, and you'll see patterns emerge. And that's yeah, exactly. a, a a perfectly uh, solid starting point for a scientific investigation. Uh, whether you can 
get your scientific investigation funded is another question. And that's, that's, um, right now, there is basically only one, as far as I know, only one foundation in the world, the Bial Foundation, that funds parapsychological experiments. Well, you've mentioned Rupert Sheldrake already. I've interviewed him, written articles about him. I've interviewed Dean Radin, who does a lot of work, you know, in parapsychology, and he's spoken often about trying to get grants and funding and whatnot. Yep. Um, there's another uh, scientist, Bernardo, Bernardo Castrop, you may be familiar mm-hmm. with, who writes sure. a lot about... Yeah. Uh, you know his model of like of uh, of life and you know quote unquote reality, and these are people very much engaged in science, the traditional scientific method, but without the without the kind of scientism, you know, that dogmatic, very unscientific actually attitude right. about what what constitutes science in itself. It's actually quite religious in a way, scientific fundamentalism, and it's amazing how when you know Richard Dawkins and, and people like that. Uh, who I think their kind of stock has been falling for some time. Uh, certainly, they're not as they're not shouting quite as loudly, you know, from the parapets as they were a few years ago. You know, there I've got a saying that I developed, which is like if we choose to not we as in you and I, but if if one chooses to to oppose the religious, one must not become too religious in one's opposition. You know, and you often see that, don't mm-hmm. you, about people who are claiming the sort of uh, moral and intellectual high ground in some of these affairs starting to behave in, in very uh, fundamentalist ways, you know, in terms of excluding right. and silencing and shutting others down. Right. Well, how, you know, how, how do we deal with this agreement? Uh, we, we can, we can, as you say, shout louder than the, than the opposition, or perhaps we can give up the idea of opposition and, and say, well, these people are, are, their views are legitimate as far as they go in terms of their own beliefs and so on. But let's let's think in terms of both and rather than either or. Everyone's opinion has some grain of truth in it, as far as I'm concerned. It may not be apl- applicable across the board. It may be very specifically applicable. But I think if we're going if we're going to resolve um, s- some of these dichotomies, um, I think we 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 need to sit down with the skeptics if they're willing to do that, and have a dialogue. Does well, that make sense? It, it- it does, of course. Yeah, but of course, what you're describing, certainly in the mainstream, any, anyway, whether it's of science or the media or anything else or culture, is kind of sort of unpopular because um, our culture is so much about so black and white about taking sides. I always think back post nine eleven to George Bush, the poor idiot boy junior, saying, <laughs> you know. You're either with us or you're with the terrorists, you know, and that, right. and that just about sums it all up, you know what I mean? So in some people's ideas, you're practically a terrorist for spouting this unscientific nonsense, you know, right. and of it's course. the idea of compromise is, is if you look at our political system and even other systems, economic systems, the way they're constructed, a lot of human systems that we have constructed are very oppositional and mm-hmm. dualistic. And that seems to be, you know, that's really coloring what passes for debate or just even dialogue or, or it's also contributing to so many problems that we're facing right now to the extent that we're unable, unable even to address problems mm-hmm. that may have been caused by these attitudes. You know, we can't seem to get beyond a certain point because it's like, I'm right and you're an idiot seems <laughs> to be the, uh, the attitude that prevails. Well, that's one of the, that issue is, is partly behind one of the things I'm proposing in my book, which is that these various levels of reality 
for want of a better term, are, are not, they're not separate. You know, there, there's in philosophy, there's the old monism dualism debate that goes on. And to me, that's just a matter, just a, a matter of semantic jujitsu. If, for example, the, the difference between our physical world and the world of consciousness is merely one of frequency, which I believe it to be, then it's not a question of, of either or. We're just different aspects of the same thing, different set of characteristics. I mean, in, whether you're talking about sound or electromagnetic vibration, um, different frequencies have different essential characteristics to them. It's true in, 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 in music, certainly. A bass note and a treble note are very, very different in their character. And in, in good music and great music, these qualities are combined to, to produce a, a, a beautiful result. I think that, that in our, in terms of our perceptions and how we create our picture of reality, if we're willing to incorporate these different flavors, as it were, of, of reality and different points of view, I think we can arrive at a whole different world, a whole different sense of reality that is not merely inclusive, but integral. Um, representing just a, a larger, richer picture of reality. Now we talk in, in connection with the afterlife. We talk about the veil. You know, what's beyond the veil? Well, in my book, I ask the question: What is the veil? And the veil, as far as I can tell, turns out to be our senses, our physical senses, which are limited. And as you pointed out. Um, uh, other creatures have a completely different range of senses. The world is different to them. Um, we we know that we have this very limited view, and so and, we, and we've known since the advent of of physical science that we have this very very limited view. So I think a little bit of um, humility uh, is called for in our in our sense of of reality that there's always more. And that we can learn to perceive and integrate and share uh, more and more of this reality um, to the extent that we can communicate about it. That's that would be step one for me. You know, remove the onus and 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 let's let's talk. You know, let's share our experiences and uh, and see. You know what we have in common that we had no idea of. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalizefreedom.com.